This is Pod TST. I'm Kenneth Arthur. You know, uh, the Cleveland Rams started in 1937. In 1946, they left Cleveland the year after winning the championship to go to Los Angeles uh, for the first team to move west of the Mississippi glitz and glamour, Disneyland and the Rams, and that lasted until 1995 when they moved to St. Louis, leaving Los Angeles behind. Then they won another Super. They won a Super Bowl, and then they moved back to Los Angeles, leaving St. Louis behind in 2016. And here we are, four years later, and uh, another Super Bowl. You know, uh, it could be. It could be. Uh, you know, I've got with me two of the biggest Rams fans that I know, and uh, two of the most knowledgeable, Sosa Cremendas and Joe McAtee. And uh, I want to ask both of you, maybe uh, starting with Joe. I, uh, you know, as you know, you've known me for a while. This is my first year covering the Rams, and I've watched four games so far, and I've got to say I'm a Rams fan, and I want to know, uh, will, you know, will Joe and Sosa, will you accept me as a, as a Rams fan into the, into the Rams family? I think so, but only if you acknowledge the glitz and glamour of Cleveland. That's really part of the history of this franchise, and I can't believe you disrespected our birthplace. But yeah, no, it's a look. Here's the bottom line for a franchise that did not have one of the bigger fan bases in the NFL over the last 15 years. Moving to Los Angeles and winning as many games as they had under McVay and as many as we probably expect to, this fan base is going to grow quite a bit over the next coming years. So, if anything, there's probably going to be more new Rams fans in the next couple of years than there were over the last. 15 so I think if anything it might be me and Sosa asking all the newbies to accept those of us who followed a lot of bad football for way too long than the other way around that's that's really good uh excellent insight Joe and again seeing it from uh, a really interesting perspective Sosa I, I leave it to you yeah I mean like Joe said we've been uh we've been through the mud with this team you know there's a, a long stretch there from probably around 2006 where the greatest show on turf was essentially coming to an end. And, you know, all the players that were left over were leaving and kind of going out the door for about 10 years or so where it was pretty bleak. And so um, it's good to finally, you know, see the other side, I guess, kind of going back to the successful side. And uh, it's almost like, I feel like I'm taking it for granted to, to some degree, you know, We've been spoiled with Sean McVay as the head coach. And yeah. uh, what's funny is the Rams went 9-7 and seven last season, and it kind of felt like one of the seasons where we went 1-15 very many years ago, you know, the, the response yeah. from fans and media. And uh, so I guess that's a good thing. And McVay himself, uh, you, the, the idea that he went as a 9-7 and seven season and he got three new coordinators, fired, yeah. essentially fired his defensive coordinator, fired his star running back, they, they responded, I think, as sincerely to 9-7 and seven as the fans did. Yeah, I think um... – you could yeah, almost uh, say you know, that uh, the way they acted was as if they won one game, right? <laughs> this this seems to be one of the better um, off seasons of Les Snead's career. You know, to not have that much to work with, and yet he has seemingly improved the team through subtraction. Him and McVeigh together, obviously, none of it works without McVeigh. Uh, and since you brought it up, Joe, do you think that any of this works without Los Angeles? Do you think that uh, and, and because of that, do we have to give some credit to Jeff Fisher for uh, doing enough to get them to move to Los Angeles? Sure. I think that's part of it. Right. I think uh, who is it? Seth Wickersham and Don Van Natta and people have 
reported on the idea that there was an internal pressure uh, in concert with the move to Los Angeles that they had to improve the product. Um, and that kind of pressure brought about, you know, trading for a number one overall pick at the top of the draft and making the big moves that we saw in the 2018 offseason and obviously bringing in Jalen Ramsey and the amount of capital it took to make that happen. Uh, I, I think part of that uh, could be promoted by the idea that they're in Los Angeles now in a city where the Lakers and Dodgers reign supreme. And obviously, given the fact that both of them are still playing right now in the NBA finals and the baseball playoffs, they're not giving a lot of room for the Rams to kind of crack that ceiling and join them in that upper echelon of the zeitgeist in LA, but the Rams are doing their damnedest to join them. And I think, uh, yeah, it's credit to everybody involved in the organization for turning things around and making them as competitive. They've been the last three years and we'll have to see if they keep doing that. And like we said, the fan base keeps growing. We'll have to see what kind of an impact it has on Los Angeles. Yeah. And competitive. They are three and one, um, one of the top passing teams in the NFL in efficiency, one of the top pass defenses in the NFL in efficiency. And if you have those two things we've seen in recent years, that's enough to get to the Super Bowl. If you're the chiefs, if you're the 49ers, these were two of the top teams in the NFL, that very thing. Now the question is they've done it against Daniel Jones, Carson Wentz, um, and the other guys, uh, Josh Allen <laughs> and uh, and Josh Allen, they face one offense here that's 4-0. They lose 35-32, plus they, they fall behind. But other than that, they've been as close to perfect, I mean, as, as they could have expected to be maybe at this point, um, this close to being 4-0 with a win over the Bills. Sosa, what is your favorite offseason move? What do you think is the thing that Sean McVay and Lesney did this year whether it was getting rid of a player or bringing in a player or a coach uh, that you think has done the most for them? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think obviously there's at least a handful that have made lasting yeah. impact, at least through this first quarter of the season. But, uh, and for me, I think it's got to be getting rid of Todd Gurley. I mean, that's not to like rag on the guy. I think, you know, what he did in LA and with the Rams in general was like legendary you know he's going to be someone that's going to be remembered and uh celebrated down the line and a lot of the things he did for the franchise were incredible but you know when it's time to go it's time to go and uh unfortunately for the rams and obviously in the whole salary cap situation and all that uh they paid him early when they didn't need to and it kind of hamstrung them in terms of their flexibility when it came to uh, moving on which you know is a totally different discussion to have mm -hmm. but i'm happy that they just kind of admitted their mistake and and cut ties you know because uh, I think you're seeing it now. Gurley just isn't the same guy. He clearly lacks, uh, you know, the explosion that he once had. He's, he's, you know, he can still break some tackles here and there. And I think he could play, you know, he could still play at a decent level, but you didn't pay him like he was playing at a decent level. And so you had to expect more out of him. And so uh, to me, even going back to last season, I thought Daryl Henderson was far better than he was in terms of explosion and creating yards after the contact mm -hmm. and uh, like just kind of taking runs you know, five-yard and seven-yard runs and turning them into nine or 15 or 75-yard runs. And so uh, I think that change in the running game was is, is pretty big right now. I think the Rams might actually have, you know, I think you can make the case that they do have three running backs that are better than Todd Gurley right now. But that's not to say that Gurley's removal was the only thing that uh, came to rescue this running game. Obviously, the offensive line is where it really all begins and where it all ends. Mm -hmm. And they're playing way better. But yeah, for me, I think, you know, moving on, Um, apologies because I have a little bit of an unstable internet connection right now. So apologies if I cut out. 
briefly here. Uh, Joe, me and you, our history of talking about running backs goes a long time. Uh, and I recall five years ago, it's, it's amazing because Sosa mentions that Todd Gurley is one of the greatest Rams of all time, which uh, is understandable. And yet his tenure was so short. Uh, uh, it's a Terrell Davis sort of situation. But even Davis played for the Broncos during these uh, years where Gurley can't play really. Um, but with regards to Todd Gurley, you know, taking a, a running back 10th overall, we, we debated it at the time. Do you think there was more pressure uh, on the Rams to extend Todd Gurley or to get rid of Todd Gurley ultimately, like in those two moments? My bad, Kenny. Can you say that again? Like, I missed you, part of it. Do you think there was more pressure at the time in 2018 mm -hmm. to give Todd Gurley a contract extension mm -hmm. uh, and into 2019 or more pressure to get rid of him? Do you think that Les Snead and Sean McVay were giving – uh, the fans what they wanted, and then when it turned out yeah. that Todd Gurley couldn't perform uh, doing it again? I think that's part of it, but if you look at the way that Tony Pastors and Kevin Demoff, who actually managed the contract negotiations, have, have approached this, they have not had a problem giving people deals after three years. Tavon Austin, uh, I think Robert Quinn, yeah, Todd Gurley. They haven't had a problem with Jared Goff going after these guys and putting a bunch of money on the table well before you get to the end of the contract. So, uh, I, I don't know that it's necessarily that they get pressured into do it. I think they just feel comfortable going after those guys early and look at the way that they've managed it where I know, I know Sosa and I talk about the phantom of the salary cap ceiling. You can manage those issues pretty easily and get out of those things and kind of uh, find ways to get more creative if you end up not liking the deal that you've made. And they've proven that maybe more than anybody, given what they've done. And Todd Gurley might be the chief example. I think the difficulty was – by the time they had everything in place to make the most out of a guy with Gurley's talents, 2018, 2019, you had to give him volume. You had to run him 20, 22 times a game just to get the and, – and all the work he got in the passing game too. You had to get him the ball a lot because it was so good and so beneficial for everything else he did for Sean McVay. And to the extent that he, you couldn't do that at the end of 2018 and like Sosa said, into 2019 – that just means he's not himself. He's not the, you know, the $17 million running back anymore because if he's half of himself, then he's half of the $17 million. And the system's so good, and they proved this with C.J. Anderson, and I think we're all excited to see if they can prove this with Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers and to the extent that Malcolm Brown's going to be a part of that too. You don't need Todd Gurley's talent. You don't need somebody that – special in order to get the ball moving and to churn it. I don't know how many 75 yards runs we're getting out of Hendo, but like Sosa said, if you're getting nine and 15 yard runs and the rest of the passing offense is as prolific as it has been, you don't necessarily need to invest that much money in a talent like Gurley at his peak because you've got everything else working. And obviously the Rams approve of that. If, if, you know, there's, there's this, these interesting wrinkles that I think come into the run game and the running back debate these days that uh, maybe don't get brought up as much and I, I do want to put a stamp on it because there is a catch 22 in, in sorts there when you say that Todd Gurley is a not good enough at his current state to do what the Rams need to do offensively and yet so you can't replace him obviously you can't have Todd Gurley so there's a level of running back that the Rams can't be successful with and then there's a level of running back that they can be successful with and maybe that level isn't using the 10th overall pick but how long right. can a team go drafting second and third round running backs every single year when you've also got needs at offensive line and defensive line and, and being like, you can't take a sixth round running back and make it work. 
You can't extend the running back and make it work. Right. You have to – these running – nobody else on the field is getting hit 15, 20 times per game. So yeah. that's why you have to spread it out. What – how do you – do you think the Rams have this solution this year, this, this triumvirate of backs, and, and how long can that last? I'll let, I'll let Sosa take a stab at that. I think what, what's interesting is part of the calculation, which he mentioned, what, if, we, if I was going to add my take on the best move that they had this offseason – I think it was not changing the offensive line personnel. I th and I think that's indicative of who they are and how much confidence they have in the coaching staff. And to the degree that it's worked out this far, I think it justifies that decision. But it means you've got to get more out of the same guys that you had to take advantage of the talents of a Daryl Henderson and a Cam Akers. And the fact they've been able to do that through four games at least gives us more hope than maybe a lot of the concern that we had in June and July and August coming off of 2018. But to the degree that if the offensive line play deteriorates either this year or next, if Whitworth starts to look older, if we have some of those issues, obviously Joe Noboom is back on injured reserve. So Sosa's favorite scapegoat isn't there to kind of hate on, but if they don't play as well as a unit and you start finding yourself in a position where kind of like this last game against the giants, you're not getting enough room for these guys. Maybe that pulls things back, certainly a degree, but to which degree we'll have to see. What do you think? Sosa? how long can the Rams, Kind of, kind of bridge that gap between taking a top talent and then squeezing the juice out of guys like C.J. Anderson to get as much as they can. Yeah, I think you made a great point there. It's all really going to start and end with the offensive line, right? I mean, I think even just looking at the fans' perspective, uh, and, and I've seen this a lot on Twitter, you know, throughout these first few weeks, is that you have some people saying like, oh, wow, all we needed to do is get rid of Todd Gurley to go like back to being this dominant rushing attack. And it's so shocking to me to see, uh, and I know this is going to be right in your wheelhouse, Joe, the lack of respect and the lack of impact that, you know, people in general provide to the offensive line. Like everything is going to start and end really up there. And, uh, you know, that doesn't matter who your running back is. At the end of the day, if you can't run block, you're not going to produce. We've seen it with the Giants when, you know, earlier this season with Saquon Barkley. Week one. Like a Week yard one. of carry. I mean, he had like 20 carries for like 13 yards. <laughs> it, you have to have a terrible offensive line to neutralize a legendary uh, talent like Saquon Barkley, right? And then you see guys like uh, Wayne Gallman and Deion Lewis who are averaging more yards per carry behind that same line, which is such a strange dynamic. But uh, to kind of bring it back to the Rams now, you know, I, as long as the offensive line allows them, I think they can make it work now. You know, we looking back in history, you look at guys like, uh, you know, Clinton Portis. You look at guys like Alfred Morris. Seen so many running backs through this outside zone scheme, dating back to not Kyle Shanahan, but his dad, Mike Shanahan. Uh, guys like Gary Kubiak, and throughout so many years, I mean, they've had so many running backs just plugging in one guy after the next, producing one guy after the next, and it all really starts up front. And so. You know, as long as the offensive line of the Rams keeps dominating as they have been, which is a shock to me because I was definitely concerned about that unit, uh, I think they can make it work. And that's not even to say that these guys aren't talented because sure. and when I got when I watch a guy like Daryl Henderson, when I watch a guy like Cam Akers, like, these guys are talented too, you know? Uh, and I think you, you see the difference between them and a guy like Malcolm Brown who is very tough and who's, you know, a, a very solid player, but he just doesn't have the same juice. He doesn't have the same acceleration. He doesn't have the same... Uh, foot speed and he's never really going to take a long run down the sideline or whatever but um, yeah I think it all begins up front and right now the offensive line is playing way better than I imagined that they would and you know they deserve all the credit in the world right now and uh, just to put a pin in the running backs before uh, moving on to another 
topic or, or position just because I, I had thought about this earlier too. And Joe, we talked about the draft and running backs and we talked about uh, drafting running backs on day two, which the Rams have done here in the last two years. And it's like, well, they can just draft a running back in day two. And, and it's something I think that fans and myself and writers tend to ignore. It's not a 100% proposition to draft a running back on day two, as the Rams are well aware of with guys like Isaiah Pede and whatever. But even in the last few years, you've got Amir Abdullah, Matt Jones, Kerryon Johnson, Royce Freeman, Ronald Jones, C.J. Procise, Donta Foreman, Darius Geist. It's not Damian Harris. It's not, I mean, not writing all these guys off, but it's not necessarily going to always work with everyone. But if you have the offensive line working, um, it works. As we saw in week four against the Giants, the offensive line uh, wasn't at its worst, but the run game couldn't get going. And the Rams scored 17 yeah. points, and, and it was not a good offensive day. Um, and looking ahead here, guys, the Rams have had the, the easy part of the schedule. Um, at least in terms of the defenses that they will face. Cowboys, Eagles, probably uh, the best maybe that they have faced so far. Bills, Giants. But coming up here next, Washington football team, San Francisco 49ers, and Chicago Bears all have top three, or excuse me, top six pass defenses by DVOA. Um, this will be the first test for Jared Goff. Um, starting with Joe, uh, based on what you've seen from Jared Goff through four games, how do you feel about this upcoming test yeah you said it was the easy part of the schedule I think that's a typo I think you meant the easty part <laughs> of the schedule with the Cowboys the Eagles and obviously the Giants last week with Washington coming up we're ending our our fun time with our friends from the east I wish we could add some more double headers with our you guys in the NFC this year. That um, yeah it's interesting Chase Young obviously is a monstrous talent my god um he's fantastic and obviously he's going to spearhead that attack and like you said they've been really good on that side um cl clearly the discussion at quarterback this uh, week is going to be front and center for Washington and sure that's going to be something that's going to get a lot of attention but yeah it's a big test for Jared Goff I think he's been really really good and efficient uh, is the word I would use at managing the offense it's been a very condensed offense I think he's uh number one or number 32 depending on how you want to look at it the next gen stat for intended air yards where he's throwing the ball shorter than I think anyone else in the NFL. That's not a bad thing. It just means that it's this very compact offense. They're not throwing the ball deep. They're not taking a bunch of seven-step drops. They're trying to set up a lot of short third downs. And for three weeks, that worked really well. Last week was the first time they struggled at that. And I don't know how much of that is really on Jared Goff as much as it was the running game, like Sosa said, the offensive line. Uh, they need to get back to putting themselves in more favorable conditions because when they've done that, they've been really successful. And Jared's been a key part of that. And I don't know that that should really surprise anybody yeah so the uh drew Brees, i believe is the only quarterback throwing fewer yards per pass and, and he is drew Brees, and that offense um isn't at the the same level that it always is every year but it still works and you know there are a lot of teams going to this method uh just to bring it up here you know the jared goff's yards uh or pass rating by distance um if he throws behind the line of scrimmage he is 18 of 24 with a rating of around 100. In the short, zero to nine yards, he is 49 of 57. So he's completing almost everything there. 111 uh, is the passer rating. Intermediate, 10 to 19. He's 16 of 27 with a passer rating of 101. And deep, he's five of six with a rating of 146. So there's no one area, Sosa, where Jared Goff is clearly struggling, but he doesn't throw the ball deep very often. 
Um, do you think that the Rams will need to throw the ball deep at some point, Sosa, or, or do you think that this will work moving forward? Yeah, I think at some point they're going to have to push the ball, you know. Uh, I don't know how they were managed to come back against the Bills by a score of 28 to 3 without pushing the ball downfield. That still blows my mind. And that was like with, the, you know, about 27, 25, something like that, minutes of game time, which is pretty incredible to think that uh, they could mount that big of a comeback without really throwing the ball deep. But, um, you, you know, I do think at some point they're going to have to push the ball. That's just how the NFL is. Somebody's going to figure you out um, no matter how good your offense is, as long as you keep doing the same things. And we've seen a team. In last week in the Giants who are not that talented defensively and they were able to essentially stifle the Rams for majority of the day outside of one coverage bust which led to that long 50-yard touchdown for Cooper Cup the Rams scored one touchdown and that was against an 0-4 team so I think you kind of see you know teams are maybe slowly starting to adjust now they're obviously going to see a much better defense this week in the Washington football team um, and it's going to be very interesting to see whether or not the Rams are going to stick to what they've done these first four weeks whether or not that's going to work. And I think it probably will just because of how good the defensive line is for Washington. I know for a fact that Sean McVay is not going to feel comfortable with Jared Goff just dropping back five and seven step drops time after time, letting guys like Chase Young and Deron Payne and John Allen and Ryan Kerrigan, so many good players on that D-line just rush and pin their ears back play after play. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of stuck to that short game this week, but Moving forward, I definitely think they're going to start to incorporate the deep pass at some point. They have to. And uh, you even seen it sprinkled in a tiny bit in this past one where Jared Goff had a wide – I wouldn't say wide open. He had an open Van Jefferson. He was kind of running some sort of a corner or an out route or something deep against the Giants. It was on the left side of the field. And Goff, he didn't have the cleanest pocket, so he just overthrew him. But, um, you know, I think you can see that they're starting to sprinkle it in a little bit here and there. And I wonder if it just has to do with a lack of – personnel because I don't think really anyone on the offense is best suited for going deep but I think we've seen it now through through the first four weeks at least on one or two or maybe three occasions where Van Jefferson was working deep and uh you know they even hooked up once or twice so I wouldn't be surprised to see that connection kind of hooking up a little bit more going deep yeah it's early in um, Van Jefferson's career obviously and it's it's difficult for maybe players like Van Jefferson at this point because uh, Joe and so, so, you know, Joe, we talk about the draft so much. Uh, we don't see too many wide receiver classes come in like they have the last couple of years. And so Van Jefferson, I don't know where the expectations are supposed to be for him. But if you look at guys like Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, LaVisca Chenault, you know, you're starting to think like, well, where would it be at this point? Um, I did want to talk about some of the some of the young players or maybe some of the improvement opportunities uh, that could be coming. Obviously, Jordan Fuller has been a breakout star for the Rams. Uh, well, well, what, Joe, what what are your thoughts here on Jordan Fuller? Could this be as real as it feels? Is it is it what, what were your thoughts here on what you saw, even though it's been such a, a little amount that we've seen? Yeah, I mean, impressive start to what was a pretty unheralded offseason. If you looked at where people were focused throughout the offseason, it was Cam Akers and Van Jefferson. And so Jordan Fuller was able to just kind of have a quieter offseason and maybe didn't have some of that pressure that a lot of times rookies kind of suffer for more so than uh, other guys, second, third year guys that people are expecting like breakout campaigns. But yeah, he certainly had a very impressive start. Uh, to a season and I think you know I, I don't know that that's necessarily a criticism for Taylor Rapp because I still really think he's a talented guy I think they're just dealing with an embarrassment of riches 
uh, kind of back there. You've got uh, Taylor Rapp. You got Jordan Fuller. You got John Johnson. You got Terrell Burgess. You you got a great secondary and that has been playing fantastic, especially mm-hmm. with the cornerbacks in front of them. And when you throw Aaron Donald and the pressure that he's generating, and obviously what happened this week with the the Giants line just collapsing uh, under its own weight, dealing with uh, the other guys uh, around Aaron Donald up front. Secondary's been fantastic, and Fuller's been a key part of that. I think it's really exciting when you get a guy that can contribute that quickly in, on day three. It's one of those things where it's like, man, this is just an added bonus. I, I don't, I don't know, know that the setback is, is necessarily the right word for, like, Van Jefferson. I think just the expectations, the, the term that we use a lot of times that be on the horns is the cycle, that people just got so excited for Van Jefferson, and everybody was like, oh, he's going to lead the league for rookies and receptions, and he's got the best footwork. And it's like, man, he hasn't played a game. He's a good prospect. Let's let him play yeah. some football. I think his best football, his biggest contributions are in front of him. Doesn't mean that he's had a slow start or anything like that. He's on the same team as Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and Josh Reynolds, who's played some pretty good football in his contract year. So I think it's just situational. Jordan Fuller had a situation for him to take advantage. He did. He deserves credit for that. And that's not anything negative for anybody else around him on the defense or guys like can't make that haven't done it yet. Um, apologies again. My internet is uh, a little unstable and I don't know for sure if you guys can hear me. You want to repeat that? Okay. I think I might be back now. Apologies again. My, my internet is cut out, uh, but I think I'm back. Um, I've lost my train of thought a little bit here, so I'm going to have to <laughs> go. Oh, yeah, Sosa, you know, uh, Joe, Joe talked about the embarrassment of riches here in the secondary, and, and surely when you do look at it and you can say Jalen Ramsey and Jordan Fuller and Darius Williams and uh, Terrell Burgess uh, all seem like parts of this secondary today and the future, uh, well, Burgess more of the future, um, and rap, you know, where he'll fit in is another scenario. But one guy who just doesn't stand out in any way in terms of like a bad way or a good way, which just means that he's he's probably standing out in a good way. But there's just so much attention on who's doing good and who's doing bad. Um, where does John Johnson fit into the team's plans when they've focused all of their money elsewhere? Did you guys hear that? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, okay. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah we, we got you. Yeah. Uh, you know, unfortunately, speaking, at, you know, with the whole salary cap issue and then obviously the Rams are eating a lot of dead money from guys like Brandon Cooks and Todd Gurley and have paid, you know, a lot of high-priced players like Jalen Ramsey and Jared Goff and Aaron Donald. I don't think there's going to be much money left over for a guy like John Johnson, unfortunately. And I think the Rams kind of prepared for that. You see them do this. Uh, over the course of the last few seasons, at least under this regime, where they essentially plan ahead. They'll, they'll double dip at a position that they know that they're likely to lose somebody. And I think they've probably already made the decision that, you know, they knew he was going to be gone. And that's why uh-huh. they drafted two guys in Terrell Burgess and in uh, Jordan Fuller. And, you know, they also got Taylor Rapp on a rookie contract. So like Joe was saying, I mean, they do have an embarrassment of riches essentially back there. Uh, to the point where a guy like Terrell Burgess, who was probably my favorite player in the draft class, isn't even playing. Uh, and Taylor Rapp is hardly playing. Now he's playing because Jordan Fuller was hurt. But 
the first two weeks, he didn't even play. Essentially, he was playing like 15 snaps a game. So, uh, and that, that's a second round pick that we're talking about who looked really solid in his rookie season. And so, you know, I think the Rams are set up for success at that safety spot, regardless of what happens with John Johnson, though, you know, it's going to suck to see him leave, I think, because he is a fan favorite. He's clearly a guy who brings the juice and brings the energy, not only in that DB room, but for the whole defense. Uh, he's clearly a guy who's taken a big leadership role this season. And he's a very good player. So I think somebody, you know, prematurely speaking, I think somebody's going to get a very good player next year yeah. uh, if he does ultimately walk, which I expect. But, uh, you know, he's a great player, and I think he's having a really good rebound season after losing last season to uh, injury. Yeah, Joe. Uh, everything said so. Everything Sosa said is accurate, and I, I. But I still am just unsure why why we would speak so highly of a player who the team has planned so surely to leave. I think just because they have limited resources, and like Sosa said, they've done this before. Whether it was with Roger Saffold leaving, that I think they prepared for when they went Joseph Noteboom, Brian Allen, and then a year later, Bobby Evans, David Edwards brought in a ton of capital on the offensive line. Uh, with both him and John Sullivan, we should note, uh, although Sullivan went to retirement while Saffold went to the Titans. Um, I, th I think they're comfortable losing quality players. Saffold, Dante Fowler, who had a good mm -hmm. run with us, Corey Littleton, who obviously grew up with us. Yeah. Uh, if only because there's so many guys and you just can't pay them all. And so I think they're making these value decisions to say, okay, where do we want to invest and where do we think we're comfortable letting a guy go, finding a replacement, and it should be noted getting, getting a comp pick for him because if John Johnson hits the market, he's going to get a nice deal. He deserved it. He's earned it, barring something crazy over these next 12 games, and the Rams are going to get a nice uh, probably a third round or maybe a fourth depending on the contract, and they'll be good to go because they've got all these other guys, and I think that's one of the things you see when it's Van Jefferson coming in maybe when Josh Reynolds is about to exit, Terrell Burgess coming in when John Johnson's about to exit, bringing in Terrell Lewis right who hasn't even played yet uh in the same offseason that you're losing Dante Fowler I think Les Snead's been pretty clear that he's comfortable linking up these kind of replacement draft picks for guys that whether it's the same offseason they're losing them or in a year's time that they're comfortable kind of getting a guy some red shirt time to be able to grow into those positions well let's do some uh let's do some rapid fire questions then and let me uh kick it over to this we'll talk about is this player starting for the Rams in 2021 is this player going to be expected and hoping to start for the Rams in 2021? Micah Kaiser. Yeah. Remember, yeah, it's I an audio. So. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the only thing I worry about with Kaiser at this point is going to be injury issues, right? He's stacking a couple injury issues, and the Rams at some yeah. point are going to have to figure out. You lost Traven Howard already. They lost Micah Kaiser now uh, last year and to some time this year. They may, you know, you don't have to invest a ton for a decent inside linebacker, but at some point are they going to look to bring in somebody that they have a little more confidence in that's going to give them a full season? That might be the only thing that threatens it. But given the way he's played this year and, you know, the fact that he's as talented as he was at Virginia, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's a week one starter. Yeah, it just seems like right now he just doesn't have enough time on the field and we'll see more yep. time on the field. Um, let me move on to uh, another one that uh, maybe by next year, there will, most teams will have three starting safeties. And maybe that gives, uh, you know, that's a, that's a new way to look at defenses. So let me ask you, Taylor Rapp. Yeah, I think he's starting. I think so, too. I think with John Johnson gone, I think they're going to find more ways to get Rapp involved. And like you said, it's going to be more nickel looks. We've seen a lot of them already. It's just been the fact that Johnson's on the field. And if he's gone, I think that'll open the door for him. Um, yeah, maybe, I agree. maybe the, uh, star, maybe the biggest star breakout, uh, that started at the end of last season, Darius Williams. Oh, that's a good yes. 
I, I think, think so. so too, if only because we haven't talked about Troy Hill and he could be another one of those guys that ends up exiting. And if so, that ends up uh, giving him another one. But the question that is going to have more pressure on him next off season than any is David Long. And I, that's mm-hmm. the one that I don't know where he factors into their plans. And that one's harder, but Darius obviously with the two interceptions recently, and he's played really well. Wouldn't surprise me. I agree with those. Yeah, I think off the top of my head, if I'm incorrect, I might be. Uh, Troy Hill, I think, is a free agent, and Darius Williams a restricted free agent. So right. the Rams could essentially get right. Williams back for very cheap and essentially make him come back because uh, I don't think anyone's going to be giving up a first-round pick if that's what they ultimately tender him at. Uh, so, you know, I think he's going to be playing. I think he's playing very well, and I think he's earned a shot to not only play the rest of the season but uh, to definitely get a longer look going into the future. But I would note it's Darius with a O-U, the Canadian spelling. So that might give him some yes. extra value up north. Mm, That's yeah, why he's of, the best. Lots of flavor with uh, Darius Williams. <laughs> um, let me ask you this. Uh, only a one-year contract, uh, and it seems hard that they would be able to bring him back given the cap constraints. But uh, yeah. any hopes with Leonard Floyd? Mm. I'd say to be determined. I I was a little bit surprised by the Dante Fowler move. And I think it worked out for both parties. I thought Fowler had a successful 2019, had a prove it year, went and earned his deal. I think we have to see if Leonard Floyd earns it. I I don't know that he has to this point. I think the bigger challenges lie ahead, especially after the bye, when you look at the rest of the schedule, but I'd put that one to be determined. I also think it's to be determined because Terrell Lewis hasn't played. Obanaya Okoronkwo is just now maybe starting to get his shot where Samson Abukam is maybe starting to lose his. And we could see how that messes with the opportunities on the edge. I don't know. What do you think? So that's a tough one. You know, I hope he's back because through the first four games, I've watched Floyd with a close eye, and I think he's done fantastic in what they've wanted him to do and what they brought him in to do, which is play Sam linebacker, set the edge, funnel runs inside, hold contain, and play what Clay Matthews did last season and bring just a tiny bit more juice as a pass rusher, and that's what he's done. Now, it's only been four games, so like you said, we'll see what happens over the next 12. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he walks because I just don't know where they're going to come up with the money, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that, that is going to be difficult. You know, as of today, I don't have a reason to take Austin Blythe or Austin Corbett out of the plans of the offensive line next year. Um, but what about David Edwards? He's been filling in for Joseph. Nopeboom. The offensive line looks pretty good with either one of them, but, uh, is this David Edwards? Do you think this guy is in the lead? I hope so. I think, uh, like Joe mentioned earlier, Joe Nopeboom is definitely not nearly as good as people think he is, at least not at guard. I think Edwards has been a huge upgrade, and I don't see any reason why they would go back now or in the near future, really. Yeah, that foursome from the 18 and 19 drafts of Joe Nobum, Brian Allen, uh, Bobby Evans, and David Edwards. Edwards is the only one playing right now, so he's the one with the shot to kind of solidify his status. But go, moving into next year, if they bring back Corbett and Blythe, it's tough to see how those other guys get back on the field. Maybe maybe Noteboom. I, I, they went to him week one, but we also saw what happened with Jamil Demby, where he was the preferred rotational guy going into 2019. They moved on. Obviously, he's on the practice squad now. So if that's the way that they go with – uh, you know, Brian Allen and maybe Note Boom leaving Bobby Ev- Evans as kind of their swing tackle backup. They might be the only guys left uh, with a shot at getting into the rotation 2021. Um, and I think that people probably want to know about running back, but at this stage, I can't think that anyone really knows anything about Cam Akers. I, I do take it that both of you are, are pretty high on Daryl Henderson. Yeah. 
I am, but I'm also very high on Cam Akers. I think all the numbers speak to themselves. I think his, he, he ranks as one of the best running backs out of this past rookie class. Uh, and the tape, at least at FSU, was incredibly impressive. So, uh, you know, he's got a long road ahead of him, but I think he's going to show why he was that early pick, you know, sooner than later. Yeah, what I, what I was going to say about uh, with Cam Akers is I think what we're looking at, I think both uh, uh, Sosa and I are high on him. It's just a, a volume issue. We need to see more, right? We need to part of what he talked about was that Bills game week three where we haven't been a pass happy team in a way that we have been in years past and we've seen that before where the Rams get under the cosh and all of a sudden McVay says screw it we're just going to press the gas on the passing game let's let it fly all around the field that didn't happen in the second half even though the Rams were down they still went to the run in the second half and they still fed the ground game and that helped fuel the comeback so I think when we talk about Cam Akers Daryl Henderson excited for both just want to see more in a way in a way that last year a lot of the issue with Todd Gurley was a quality issue I think that's what Sosa was talking about earlier I think there was also a quantity issue we just didn't run the ball enough and so I think we want to see more of that from Hendo more of that from Cam Akers and I wouldn't be surprised if once we get more that we get more excited about both of them um, and speaking of being excited about new Rams and potential of them not being Rams in the future uh, and both of a, a couple of young guys they're they're you know Brandon Staley is younger than uh, Andrew Whitworth so uh, close to player's age here um, it's early and we can't say much about these guys but at the same time there are certain names that seem to be on head coaching trajectories you know, when they do get hired for these jobs and um, Brandon Staley getting hired uh, to replace Wade Phillips and uh, Kevin O'Connell being hired when he was one of the uh, more sought-after offensive names in the NFL right now. Early thoughts on those two coordinators uh, and potential. I mean, it's, it's early, but potential for them to be more coaches leaving the Rams, starting with uh, Usosa. I think at some point we're going to be talking about those guys as potential head coach candidates now. Uh, probably not as early as this offseason, but uh, I don't know, man. Anything that seems to touch Sean McFay seems to turn to gold and – I would say that so far the returns on Matt LaFleur and uh, Zach Taylor have been pretty damn good. So, you know, I, would, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, in one off-season's time we're talking about those guys potentially getting head coaching roles. And I think uh, probably Staley would be first to go. But I think they should be safe for this off-season at least. And it wasn't long ago we were talking about Shane Waldron and Aubrey Pleasant, right, uh, getting mm -hmm. maybe an opportunity for offensive defensive coordinator. So I think McVay's just proven that uh, he's comfortable helping raise some of these guys, uh, raise their profiles and help elevate them to get those promotions elsewhere. Maybe even with John Fossil going to D Dallas, maybe that gives him a little bit more responsibility than he was getting here and helps him make that rare jump from a special teams guy into a head coach. Remember, he was the interim head coach in 2016 so yeah it wouldn't surprise me at all if Staley or O'Connell are only here for a couple of years and maybe that's a good thing it can be a win-win for everybody involved uh and let's uh, wrap up just by sort of talking about um how the first quarter of the season will relate to the final 75 percent of it because we've we've mentioned the NFC East uh quite a bit and that they've played the best team in the AFC East already uh but this is a team that has yet to play the Seattle Seahawks, that has yet to play the San Francisco 49ers, that has yet to play the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, these are the six games that will be the most important to them, and these are uh, teams that are, you know, one's coming off the Super Bowl, the other one is 4-0, oh, and, uh, and the Cardinals supposedly are supposed to be better, um, as well as games against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Chicago Bears and New England Patriots. Uh, Joe, how confident do you feel in those games against those teams now? 
I'm just shocked you didn't list the New York Jets in week 15. I don't know how that didn't make it into that group. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm confident, but, you know, th- here's what I'd say is we're through a quarter of the season. How many teams in the NFL just played their best quarter, right? There's maybe a handful, maybe more, maybe a little less. How many played their worst, right? There, there's a bunch of teams like maybe a Minnesota, Houston, Dallas, that are going to look back at these first four games and, and say, man, that was our worst football, but we got better since then. There's going to be teams, uh, maybe a Cleveland, maybe somebody else that says, yeah, we, we had a really good successful quarter, but then stuff started falling apart. So I don't think the Rams are necessarily in either of those groups. I think maybe this is indicative of a quality of play that's going to sustain them throughout the season. And what we saw last year was a disappointing, inconsistent team that still went nine and seven. I think we're all expecting maybe, if not a double digit win team, the better football. And to this point, I think we've gotten and so feel really good about it but like like you point out uh, those are going to be the tests that are going to define the Rams season how they do in the NFC West how they do against you know New England and Tampa Bay coming up after the break those are going to be the games that define them more than beating up on the NFC East at this point what do you think so yeah I mean like you guys said obviously those six divisional games are going to be the most important by far uh, but something that we got to remember too is that there is going to be that new playoff seeding rule where seven yeah, yeah. teams are get squeezed in so uh, I think, you know, that is going to heighten the importance of the interconference games and the NFC and things like mm-hmm. that, too. Uh, and so far, you know, I think looking back now uh, in terms of how the first quarter was for the Rams, I think it's probably very easy to say that it wasn't that hard. But I think if you ask most people prior to the season that they would say that that was maybe one of the hardest stretches of any right. team for the first four games of the season. And uh, for me personally, too, I thought the Rams, you know, they could really start out legitimately 0-3 and still find a way to make the playoffs. That's how yeah. tough I thought these first four games were. And so, uh, you know, coming out of this stretch 3-1 and and could have very easily been 4-0 if it wasn't for a ticky-tacky yeah. call in Buffalo uh, is very impressive to me. And so, you know, I'm very optimistic moving forward now. Uh, you know, it remains to be seen what's going to happen in that division. But I think we're starting to see, you know, like Joe even mentioned, you see the Cardinals, they start out 2-0, everyone's buying, everyone's buying. And now they're slowly coming back down to earth where they're yep. two and two and they lost the game to the Panthers and it got crushed really. Uh, and, you know, so I think the Rams got a really good shot to make the playoffs this year. And not just that, but I mean, personally speaking, it does look like it's going to come down to the Seahawks and the Rams when it comes to the NFC West. I think the 49ers are cl- clearly a step behind and not only that, but they're so banged up that they're not yep. even really the same team as they were last season. So, uh, but it's going to be very interesting to see. And I think, you know, whoever can take, majority of the games between the Rams and the Seahawks or if they split who can win just random games here along uh, the season is really going to take the NFC West but I do think the NFC West has a good shot to send at least two teams to the playoffs yeah one other thing I'd throw on the schedule Kenny is what what's uh, clear is that these next four games are a really funky game for an LA team and the last eight after the bye set up well for where the Rams want to be schedule wise we got three games on the road out of these next four yeah you got two among the early slate the other two are primetime games week six Sunday uh, in France uh, San Fran on mm-hmm. Sunday night football and then a week later at home against Chicago on Monday night so this is a really weird part of the schedule where you're playing early you're playing late you're on the east coast twice with Washington and Miami you get back after the bye you got five home games you've only got I think uh every game is either a prime time or in the late schedule the only one is the Jets game in week 15 because I think that's in that flex window so this last eight games schedule wise sets up very Los Angeles friendly if not necessarily mm-hmm. Rams friendly and mm-hmm. I think that's something that you'd rather want to have after the bye and deal with this funkiness early on and be able to respond to it even though the games the challenges are much greater 
Yeah, that's a really good point. And I really uh, love your level-headed approach to realizing that, you know, some teams and some players have played the, their best football of the year. And it's easy. There's this reactionary response, this very uh, need, this need on, on social media or wherever it is to just be like, oh, I've, something that I thought has been proven. So I'm going to say right now that that, uh, that draft pick sucked or uh, that, 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 that team, that coach needs to go or, or this or that. The Miami Dolphins were called the worst team of all time after four games last season. They were getting destroyed by everybody. And the, the New England Patriots were on the opposite spectrum. They were saying it's not fair the Patriots exist. They need to be taken out of the NFL. And after seven games, the Patriots were 7-0 and the Dolphins were 0-7. And they both went 5-4 and four in the last nine games. So let's, you know, everybody does need to take the breaks uh, on what's happened so far in the season. Um, and, and as well, you're very right that the, the Rams, they get through this schedule. It's very possible they could be 7-1 and one going into the bye week. Um, and then that gives them some freedom there with, with the, their NFC West schedule remaining. However, uh, one thing that uh, is for sure is that there's no greater – place to be now than the number one seed two seed is not a thing anymore you're just like everybody else so elite means 14 and 2 13 and 3 you know these are going to be the records of the teams that get the number one seed uh and that's where it's going to be an interesting challenge for the rams and whether or not they can do that against some of these teams uh and i joe i did want to get your quick thoughts too as well you know sosa talked about a little briefly uh and he can always expand on these if he wants to but about the other teams in the NFC West. I think that one thing that's interesting about the Seahawks is while there is a lot of hype on Russell Wilson as, a, as, a, as an MVP and, and doing these types of numbers that we've never seen before, I think it is, it is true that we've never – it's like – or we've seen them before, but rarely. But, like, it is true to, that you look at it and you go like, oh, yeah, he's got DK Metcalf. You turn on a Seahawks game, you're seeing explosive plays left and right. Seattle's given up more explosive plays on defense than they have on offense. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the Seahawks uh, through their force four games? What is the saying? I think they're, they're letting him grill. They're letting him saute. They're letting Russ braise. Let Russ braise, I believe was the hashtag. Yeah, no, they're looking good, man. Um, and obviously when you got a quarterback in that kind of a groove, it, it protects you against everything else. Um, and that's going to be tough. I think the concern, obviously, is that Kyler Murray is on a pathway to being – you don't want to put, you know, a pedestal for Kyler next to Russell Wilson and say, hey, go up there now. But for, for a guy that's a year and a quarter into his career, he's looking very good and very difficult to deal with. And then, obviously, the 49ers coming off the Super Bowl. Defense, very good. But as Sosa noted, that, uh, that roster is banged to banged to banged to banged up. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's going to be a war of attrition, I think. A lot of these games are going to be – um, not necessarily more physical, but in a way that you saw like Jalen Ramsey obviously was hyped up for this last game and had some personal reasons for that, which came out after the game. I think you're going into these games where you're going to have the veterans turning up the volume. Guys like Andrew Whitworth, who maybe aren't necessarily always that emotional and uh, hyped up in, in a way that they're controlled hyped up. But you go into these games after the bye, and they're going to crank it up to take it from spinal tap. They're going to crank it up to 11, man, because they know that those are going to be the games that are going to define the season and define the standings. And you've got to come with 100% 
from the snap for that. You can't have any halves like Buffalo in the first half. You just can't afford to do it. Um, or, or even that second half, like Sosa referred to at the beginning of the pod, against New York. Because uh, against better teams, you're not going to be able to hold them at bay when you're going three and out, five and out, five and out, three and out in the second half. And so I think that's going to be the part that's going to be interesting is those first quarters are going to be explosive when we get into some of this NFC West uh, back mm-hmm. and forth. Yeah, should be interesting. And, uh, you know, the 49ers, even though they're 2-2 two and two and, and they don't haven't had all their personnel, I know they're one of the, one of the higher-rated teams still in efficiency. And, you know, watching those games, Kyle Shannon's put them in an interesting position uh, to stay competitive despite this. And uh, the Seahawks are going to be on the slate in Week 10 after the bye week. So the Rams get a full bye week uh, to prepare for that, assuming that there aren't any complications like the Titans and Steelers have faced and uh, other teams have faced. Uh, that's, that's one advantage. And then uh, Week 16 at Seattle, a game that's probably going to be flexed. <laughs> uh, so... Um, you know, I think we've done a lot of good discussing here on the uh, Rams. Uh, Joe, where can people hear you talk about the Rams and, uh, and continue to give this great coverage that you do? Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, we're over at Beyond the Horns. Our uh, podcast is creatively titled Los Angeles Rams Podcast, colon, a Los Angeles Rams podcast. And uh, it's me and Joey and Robbo, who people might remember from our Tertial Times days, uh, being morons, talking about football, talking about a lot of other dumb stuff, too. But yeah, uh, we have fun over there. They can follow us at BTH underscore Rams, or they can obviously get at me at 3K underscore. That's not at QB's MVP. Don't – I don't know who that is. I don't know who runs that account. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, Sosa, do you know who runs that account? Yes, I've heard that a very wise young gentleman might run that account, so I would certainly go follow him. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, you can follow us at uh, BTH, like Joe said. Uh, you can follow me personally at QB's MVP on Twitter. I'm always firing off some silly football takes. And you can find my work at um, numerous different places from – PFF to Locked On Rams. I'm doing a daily podcast there five days a week, Monday through Friday. And I guess if you're into NBA DFS, you can find me at Fantasy Pros as well. So uh, I'm, I'm a little all over the place, but uh, we're, we're making things work. For old school TST listeners, I, I would point out, Sosa's been doing great work at PFF. His fantasy stuff has been really good. So I'd, if you haven't leapt over to PFF to check him out because you're afraid of non-Rams coverage, do it because he's putting uh, together good stuff. 